It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to The Deal Room, where every week we talk specifically about all things corporate finance. From the biggest M&A and PE deals to the strategy that drives business decision making. We aim to bring what you learn in the classroom to life with real world examples and hopefully at the same time have some fun with it. So let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to The Deal Room and it's a special episode because I've managed to carve out a little slot in Stephen's schedule because he's on a bit of a east coast u.s tour at the moment so thank you Stephen. how's how's it all going yeah not bad and i'm in uh i'm in boston massachusetts uh i did a brilliant event last night shout out to the northeastern team who i'm sure are all listening to this podcast because i plugged it pretty heavily i tend to i tend to plug our deal room podcast a bit more than peers is because i'm quite competitive i want to get our numbers up so hopefully they're, uh, they're they're listening along but uh yeah we've got a five campus tour of the east coast going on at the moment so i'll be in new york tomorrow penn state over the weekend back to new york um it's going to be great good stuff well look to to keep true to my word what we're going to do here is there's five market topics and we're going to cover those in five minutes or at least attempt to because a lot of these stories are ongoing on things that you've kind of done a deep dive on before but there's very valid updates like Amma Sports, for example, like the PGA Tour, trying to fight back against the kind of Middle East money invasion that we've seen on the, the North American leagues. And then there's lots of other really cool stories to do with automakers, with the Reddit IPO. So let's just dive straight in. And I'm going to stop my, my Garmin Sports stopwatch just to keep you <laughs> true to your word. And let's go with the PGA Tour. So they've secured up to $3 billion from US investors as Live Golf merger hands in the balance. So, yeah, tell me more about this one then. Where, where are we at in this saga in, in the golf world? Yeah, this is, a, this is a story that we covered in the summer uh, on the podcast. And it was this amazing story 
where the PGA Tour, the premier tour, US golfing tour, um, previously was getting, was rejecting the Saudi advances and the Saudis public investment fund, they set up the Rebel Live Tour and paid superstars hundreds of millions of dollars to bring them over to the dark side. PGA Tour absolutely, absolutely hated that. The, the CEO of the PGA Tour, a guy called Jay Monaghan, uh, came out and said, absolutely not. We hate live. We don't like what the Saudis are doing. And then a few months later, uh, announced that they were jumping into bed with the Saudis and tying up with live in a merger. It was just a shocking piece of news. Screwed over a bunch of golfers. Now, that's rumbled on for the last six months. And actually, the news that broke last week, that was instead of this live merger, that was so contentious and split the golfing world apart, there was actually going to be a $3 billion investment from US investors into the PGA Tour in order potentially to rebuff the PIF advances, potentially to raise a war chest in order to compete from a salary, bonuses, monetary perspective and also to bring the PGA Tour back into the hands of the US, of US investors, which I think from a regulator's perspective is going to be a lot more palatable. So just a few little bits on this. I know I've got to keep it to five minutes, but there's some good stuff. So the PGA Tour is a not-for-profit entity, right? What they've done is they've created a new entity called PGA Tour Enterprises. Now, the PGA Tour Enterprises is invested $3 billion by a company called Strategic Sports Group. The investors, the principals in Strategic Sports Groups, Arthur Blank, who owns Home Depot, personal fortune of $8 billion. John Henry, who runs Fenway Sports Group. I'm up in Boston. I just walked past Fenway Park, Boston Red Sox, Liverpool, Sport, you know, Liverpool, Pittsburgh Penguins, I believe. And Steve Cohen, famous Steve Cohen of hedge fund infamy, I think it's probably fair to say. So there's some deep pockets there. And what they've done is they've invested in PGA Tour enterprises and kept the PGA Tour as a not-for-profit group. Now, PGA Tour is going to be dealing with all of the players. It's going to be dealing with all of the uh, weekly events, et cetera, et cetera. And PGA Tour enterprises is going to be monetizing the heck out of it, right? Sponsorship, licensing deals, you know, uh, TV rights, et cetera, et cetera. The other interesting thing about this is in order to give a little bit of a sweetener to those PGA Tour players that have stayed loyal and not joined the dark side, PGA Tour players are going to get an equity slice of the PGA Tour enterprises. So if you're thinking Rory McIlroy, Tiger Woods, the big beasts, they will get some serious upside if they stay loyal. And now we all know that you know, in order to be able to get your equity slice, you probably need to stay on the PGA Tour as the equity options vest and become realized. The more you contribute to the tour, the bigger your equity slice will get. So actually, this is a super neat way of getting, of keeping those superstars in the loop and then monetizing the heck out of the superstars. Strategically, mates complete sense i mean as you just described in that last part so is this a, a regular template that gets rolled out in other sports given how big some of them are nfl the rest in north america is this a common 
route? Yeah, it's interesting because it's it's not really like the other. It's not really like the the NHL and the NBA and and NFL and things like that because you can't know what you can't buy the NFL. You you can buy franchises within the NFL. You, so you can buy an individual team and hope to monetize that individual team. But you know, it's like someone buying the Premier League. It it's just it's just not going to happen. I think the the closest equivalent is Formula One. You know, so Liberty Media absolutely smashed it by buying Formula One back in 2017 and have totally revolutionized that sport from a monetization perspective. So, yeah, it's a little bit different from the franchise uh, system, but it's an interesting one. I think it's a really good move. Uh, And three billion, it's a lot of money, but there's a lot of golfers out there and they spend a lot of money on kit. So if you can, you know, <laughs> it's quite a lucrative uh, viewership. Yeah. Well, we've not got time to talk about the other sporting hero, Messi, disappointing a lot of my family in Hong Kong in the past few days. What you happened know, there? Saw, uh, Inter Miami went to Hong Kong and there's absolute yeah. sellout, 38,000, yeah. biggest stadium in Hong Kong. Tickets were going up to $600 US. And then he just sat on the bench the whole game. And they oh, said he's no. too important that he might get injured, that he wouldn't play. And they went absolutely in uproar. Oh, my God. So now he, he's just... in Tokyo now. So they're wondering whether or not he's going to have to play because of how upset they were. But if he does, the Chinese geopolitically are going to be really offended. They <laughs> yeah. landed in a right so, hot spot now. Messi causing a geopolitical <laughs> storm. The start of the Third World War. There we go. <laughs> All right. Well, look, let's let's move on and let's talk about the next one, which is Stellantis. And actually, I think probably for a lot of listeners, um, might not have even heard of Stellantis, but certainly <clears throat> would have heard of some of the brands associated with that conglomerate. So who exactly are we talking about in this business? Yeah, so Stellantis, again, you may not have heard the name, but they own Citroen, Chrysler, Fiat, Jeep, Maserati, Peugeot. So they're one of the biggest car making conglomerates in the world. $70 billion market cap, actually Italian owned, but formed out of a merger between Fiat and Chrysler. So Fiat, the European arm owning Citroen, Peugeot, etc. And Chrysler owning the likes of Jeep um, and obviously Chrysler. Now it's the fifth biggest car maker in the world by number of vehicles produced. It it produces 6 million vehicles. Little quiz for you, Ant. Who are the top four? Vehicle manufacturers. Yeah, in terms of number of vehicles produced per year. Uh, Volkswagen. Yeah. Ford. No. General Motors. Toyota. Toyota, yeah. Um. Maybe it's something a bit left field like Kia or something like that. <laughs> not bad, not bad. So Toyota number one, VW number two, Hyundai number three. Okay, Again, yeah. you don't see a lot of Hyundais as they're pronounced here in the UK. Uh, and Renault, Nissan, Mitsubishi. Now Renault, Nissan, Nissan, Mitsubishi are actually the main other player in this story. So Stellantis, you're thinking, gosh, 70 billion market cap, fifth biggest car maker in the world. Why are they thinking about merger talks? Who's dropped this bomb to say, actually, we probably need to tie up with another car manufacturer? So the speculation on this story was fueled by the Stellantis CEO, Carlos Tavares, 
who uh, who basically said, look, all right, there's so many forces hitting us from all angles. We've got the Chinese advance in terms of cost of production and EV manufacture. You've got the EU phase out of combustion engines. So we need to get onto some electric powertrains and get economies of scale there. And then the United Auto Workers costly new contracts. The United Auto Workers is the union for Toyota, Honda, Hyundai, Tesla, Nissan. So they're the kind of auto union demanding a lot higher pay. So he's saying, look, there are these forces coming at us from all sides. And actually, back in 2021, these, you know, as I said, the Fiat Chrysler merged with the PSA group, which was Vauxhall, Peugeot and Citroen to, to form Stellantis. So it wasn't that long ago that two very big beasts came together. And it might be that two very big beasts are going to come together again in the shape of Stellantis and Renault. Now, if they do join together, team up, that would make the biggest car company in the world over 12 million cars sold a year. So you've got to be thinking, all right, is this is this just a little bit of chat to maybe force um, Italian the Italian government to be a little bit you know nicer on subsidies or something like that? Because would it even get away in the market? Would regulators allow a 12 million car a year monolith? Yeah, I like that idea, as you said, strategically, just to put a bit of pressure on the government so yeah I'd, i don't know I, I think there's probably a lot more to that that story than uh meets the eye that's going on behind the scenes to try and orchestrate yeah as you said something more to do align probably with government subsidies makes sense to me yeah and and, and i think just to just to kind of zoom out a little bit i think the reason why we do these five headlines in five minutes is you know i was at i was at northeastern yesterday and a lot of people were asking okay so how do i nail my interview how do i nail my internship interview and i was just like well they're going to ask you to talk about a deal that you're interested in so the best place to start is pick a sector that you're interested in mm. so whether it's sports with the pga tour whether it's uh automotive obviously with the te the tesla deep dive Stellantis, you pick one of these five stories, you go in deep, and then you're starting to sound really competent in an interview environment. Mm. And that's really sound advice, actually. And yeah, the authenticity of talking about an area that you're genuinely interested in, that's what lifts then. That's almost like the secret source. The, the deep knowledge will come more naturally, you'll feel more motivated to learn it, and you will sell it better. So yeah, 100%. Agreed. All right. Are we, should we move on? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Amma Sports. That was one that we spoke about, I think, about two weeks ago. So what's the latest then? That was a, a company looking to IPO. Yeah. So, yeah, just a very quick update on Amma Sports. It's always good to check back in with these different stories as they develop. Just as a reminder, Amma Sports, Chinese private equity owned, originally Finnish company, owner of brands including Wilson and Solomon. We discussed their IPO prospectus a couple of weeks ago on the pod. When we spoke, we were thinking, all right, are they get, you know, wh what's their valuation range going to be? Um, it was between $13 and $16 per share, giving a market capitalization of anything between about 6.8 and 8.3 billion. Now, interestingly, the investment banks 
sensing during the book building process, sensing the mood music, price this at the very bottom end of the expected range. So IPOs, you know, we tend to see things being priced close to the top of the range. Actually, it was 16 to $18 a share that we were expecting. But this IPO got priced at $13 a share. Now trades six, six days later at $15.45. So a, a healthy little premium. So it, it gained 3% on the first day. But that, you know, this is just another sign, another sign of the caution that investment banks are playing when it comes to getting the IPO away. And if you think about it, you know, so Amma Sports effectively IPO'd with a market cap of 6.3 billion. You know, if they come out at $18 a share, that would have been a market cap of 8.3 billion. It's quite a, quite a big differential due to the conservative and cautious nature of these investment banks that just don't want another dud on their hands. So where the, the IPO price actually lands on that spectrum, on the initial range, could you measure that on an industry-wide and then sector-specific to try and judge then the general sentiment of where we are on that, that reopening idea of the IPO market? Yeah, it's really interesting. You, 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 you can definitely try and do that exercise, but there are so many factors that go into it. You've got to think about, all right, you know, let's have a think about the specific profile of this company. Let's have a look at their debt pile. Let's acknowledge the fact that they're Chinese-owned. So that's going to add an element of complexity. Let's have a look at their existing shareholder structure. And interestingly, I thought the most interesting part of this story, and it's always, <laughs> we always kind of, gloss over who the actual investors are in the IPO. Now, 105 million shares were offered uh, as part of this IPO, raising $1.4 billion. 63 million of them went to what's called insiders. So existing shareholders, existing strategic investors, the biggest one of which is a guy called Chip Wilson, who founded Lululemon. And he actually bought an additional $324 million of shares on the IPO, another 24.9 million, bringing his ownership up to, I think, 16 or 17%. All this to say that it seems like the kind of inside individual investors think this could be a bit of a bargain, but it seems also like institutional investors have shied away a little bit, you know, only taking up 40% of the ticket suggest that there's not a lot of confidence out there in the wider institutional market for an IPO like this. Maybe it's the secondhand nature of the relationship with the Chinese element within it. So if you're within the inside, you are part of that first point relationship. Whereas when if you're an outside institution, there's lots of other considerations of that business that you're doing, then so subsequent business thereafter. And yeah, it's yeah. Probably quite and tricky. And look, maybe they'll get involved and maybe this is a really good play, you know, so the likes of Chip Wilson taking on the kind of the China risk element, the China discount, right. buying at $13 a share and then thinking, well, now I've kind of sanitized it through the New York Stock Exchange and <laughs> sell it to an institution. And look, he's become $200 million richer because it's now trading up near $16. So whether he's got a lock in period or whatever, it's not a bad bit of not a bad bit of business. Right. Chip always delivers. Well, let, let's go on to the next, uh, another IPO, but this one with a name that's probably very familiar to most people, and that's Reddit. So Reddit IPO. 
Tell me a bit more about that one. Here we go. So we covered the Reddit potential IPO on the deal of the week last week. Uh, and I love I love this story because Reddit's been kind of thinking about IPOing for the last couple of years. It actually uh, listed its kind of confidential IPO filing a couple of years ago. And it's just been waiting for the IPO market to return. And now <laughs> Reddit is probably a, a good example of a frothy tech name that wouldn't get away in a closed IPO market, right? It's never made a profit for a year. It had a 20% rising revenue, which everyone got quite excited about. Um, I think it was yesterday they announced it, um, which is good. You know, so they've, you know, $800 million of revenue in 2023, but they still lost 69 million. They have 70 million daily active users and they've got 16 banks working on the IPO. The who's who of bankers, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Bank of America, City. It's expected that they will um, launch this IPO or issue the IPO prospectus within the next month. And it is going to be a massive bellwether as to whether investors are happy to take the risk with a loss making company. It's likely, by the way, that the valuation is going to be well below previous rounds or previously expected valuations for Reddit. They've got up to like 15, 20 billion. Valuation is probably going to be down at five or six. So they've already taken a pretty big haircut. So is it a, going to get away? Yeah, I mean, as a non-Reddit user, I mean, I've been on there occasionally. I know the kind of general idea. But just just pitch it to me. What is that business? <laughs> How is it valued at that level? What am I buying? What are they selling yeah. in their pitch book? I don't quite get it at that I mean, level look, that they're, they're placing themselves. They say they're selling the advertising revenue from 70 million daily active users. That's, you know, that's about as, as about as, and, and, and again, putting 70 million daily active users into the context of a Facebook, it's got about 4 billion. Mm. <laughs> this is pretty niche. And it's quite interesting, you know, Reddit, Reddit, in our world and it's very famous for the meme stock and wall street bets and things like this so i went onto reddit and got on a board discussing the reddit ipo and everyone is so bearish everyone's like i'm you know <laughs> i'm shorting this thing as soon as it launches so you know my speculation on the deal of the week last week was is reddit going to bring down reddit yeah <laughs> you're probably that, right that might end up happening because it's uh you know it's it's a really nice it's a really nice forum for people to interact whether it's a five billion dollar market capitalization business it just feels too too subscale to yeah. be a proper social media business so look we'll wait and see it looks like the ipo is finally going to happen you know i'm not getting my wallet out at this point yeah might have to dust the cobwebs off that retail account for the uh, for the uh, reddit short <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly i think yeah, yeah, you and me both all right so the final one is a headline I had to actually double take when I saw this come out on the FT a day or two ago. And I was like, Adam Newman explores buying WeWork out of bankruptcy. I was like, what? How, how is that even possible? How is he even still walking around tabling that kind of idea? So what, what, is, what on earth is going on with this one? What on earth is going on? Adam Newman. The man that just won't go away, you know, <laughs> selling, selling the we story. 
just as a reminder to those listeners, he was the founder of WeWork, a real estate office leasing company dressed up, tarted up to look like a tech company, achieving a once high of 40, I think it was a 48 billion valuation from uh, from uh, a number of investors, including SoftBank. They tried to IPO and it absolutely bombed because as soon as sane, sober investors took a look at WeWork, they realized that it was a bit of a house of cards and this was just a office leasing business trying to launch a tech multiple valuation. They had this wacky thing called community adjusted EBITDA. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know if you came across this. And that basically stripped out rent from their cost base and rent was 80% of their cost base. <laughs> so like, if you strip out your biggest cost, you know, it's quite easy to make a profit. So anyway, a whole heap of rubbish. Uh, he got ousted. Some kind of, you know, safe pairs of hands tried to take the WeWork business public, which they did. But they, they basically, in November last year, filed for bankruptcy, Chapter 11 in the, in the US, with liabilities of $19 billion and assets of $15 billion. It was just a business model that didn't work in the guise that WeWork decided to take on. But Newman is back at the table. Just as an aside, Newman is worth about $1.7 billion. He has got massively rich from this botched failure of a company. It's, it's staggering, isn't it? You know, I mean, I'm not worth 1.7 billion and I've never done anything like Newman. <laughs> I've never destroyed that much shareholder value. <laughs> um, he got a massive payout when he left. He took a load of money off the table during different funding rounds and he's worth a lot of money. He's been trying to buy the company out of bankruptcy and is getting stonewalled by the liquidators and actually originally stonewalled by the, the board saying, look, we're not going to provide you with any information. We're not interested in your advances. Go away. Newman keeps coming back to the table and it's getting to the stage that in a liquidation process, as soon as you pass control from the board, who's maybe trying to sell the company whilst it's still pre-bankruptcy to the liquidators who are effectively just trying to sell the assets at the highest price to pay the creditors and the kind of senior secured lenders. As soon as you pass it to the liquidators, they cannot have a, an angle. They can't say, well, I like you as a bidder. I don't like you as a bidder. It's got to go to the highest bidder. That's just the way it works in a liquidation process. So it might be that now you know, the personalities have been taken off the table, Newman can sweep back in and buy a bunch of the assets or maybe buy a bunch of the IP through this liquidation process. One of the best bits of advice I ever received when it comes to comes to startups is just don't date your ex. Do not date your ex. You know, <laughs> don't go back to the company that you started. It didn't work. It didn't work for a reason. You know, it's not just because you think you can save it doesn't mean you can save it. Yeah. I think this is a disaster waiting to happen, to be honest. Very, very valuable life advice there for <laughs> any of our listeners. I guess you said about, the I guess the, the IP, would it be that he just wants, because he was very tied to that brand and philosophy, is it that he just wants that to then start other business ventures? It's nothing to do with the WeWork that we know. 
from the past? Yeah, it, look, it might be that. Uh, but in the meantime, whilst he's been kind of uh, elevating himself to a higher spiritual plane, he has also founded a company called Flow. And if you've heard about this, yes. Flow received a $350 million investment by Andreessen Horowitz, one of the kind of premier US West Coast venture capital firms. Uh, and basically, Flow is like we work for, for apartments. So imagine the WeWork aesthetic and the kind of, you know, Thursday beers and ping pong tables and things like that, but put into an, into an apartment concept. They've just, they've just launched their first building in Fort Lauderdale, uh, a 640-unit, uh, what's called society block. And, you know, it's, it, actually, it actually feels like a, a better idea because you know that as long as you don't dress it up with a ridiculous tech valuation it's a real estate play you know making apartments more attractive to smaller groups of people you know people are having less kids there are a lot more single people so having this kind of slightly more um community based vibe actually sounds like a better business model it is not a tech venture scale business model but yeah so he's he's off doing his thing maybe there's some kind of mashup between the two mm. maybe his apartment blocks will have mini we works inside of them something like that maybe that's what he's thinking yeah but yeah look anyone that can fail so spectacularly and then raise 350 million dollars for an idea you know i mean that maybe guy we're doing it wrong it's convincing <laughs> It's a good salesman, so I definitely don't put this one past him. I'm going to put it out there. He's going to get WeWork back, and it's going to integrate into Flow. You heard it here first. Here we go. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stephen, thank you so much for giving out some time on your on your tour. And yeah, safe travels, and I'll see you back in London uh, in due course. Thank you. Thanks, Anne. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.